We've been talking about identity for this month, and I know that the more that we know our identity, who you really are, who you are, uh, the more that everything that you're going to need in life is going, you're going to see it on the inside of you. You're going to see that on the inside of you. Because we said this last week, and I just want to reiterate this is a a really good point, because uh, a lot of times people think, you know, when tragedy happens to them or a bad thing happens to them, and um, just to make sure I'm talking to the right audience, has anything bad ever happened to you? Okay. I raised both hands in a foot. Some bad things have happened to me. Tragedy. Some tragedy things have happened to me. And we have people have a tendency to, to think, oh, God allowed it, or God meant for this to happen, or God this and God that. And, and it is so wrong to think that way. God loves you more than anybody could possibly love you. The problem is we live in a sin-cursed world. We have been redeemed, but the world has not. And so, because the devil is alive and well, and circumstances are alive and well, but this is what God promises, that in the midst of your tragedy, in the midst of your bad experience or circumstance, this is what God wants you to do, to look to him, because in the midst of that terrible thing, God says, I'll manifest peace on the inside of you like you've never seen before. I remember having a tragedy. Somebody died in my life, and it was like God just put me in a bubble. Have you ever experienced that, just being put in a bubble? And the Lord says, that's understanding that the world has no clue about. But that's what I have for my, for my children. So in every circumstance, in every uh, terrible thing, God says, look to me, and I'll show you the peace of God like you've never known before. The peace of God is in you, but it needs to be manifest. But this is what the devil wants you and I to do, is to concentrate on the why. Why, God, did this happen? Why this? And why did you allow? Why? Why? And as long as the devil can keep us, listen to me now. This will help you. As long as the devil can keep you and me focused on the why, then he knows that the peace of God that is given to you, you're not going to be able to see that manifested because you're focused on the why. You see the distraction? It's a major distraction to keep you and I from receiving what God has for us. You know what that tells me? In the midst of every storm of life, in the midst of every terrible circumstance, there is victory for the believer and knowing that God will help you get through every single thing in your life. Amen? He will. That's why it says in Corinthians, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? God is saying in the midst of even death, he says, I'll show up and make my presence known to you and you'll have peace even amidst of a death of a loved one. That's good news. So that's what we talked about last week. I'm not going to go into more detail, but if you want to check out it, it's on the web, I believe. They put all the messages on the web. So uh, this is what you and I need to always have in the back of our mind. Even in the midst of something bad going on in your life, do you know that God is still good? Do you know that? Because, listen, if you get the character of God wrong, which... The majority of the church world has. If you get the the character of God wrong, you'll get everything wrong. 
you get everything wrong about God. Let me just say it that way. So we need to trust God just when, you, when those questions of why come, why this and why did this, just say, okay, God, I'm giving it to you. I'm giving the why to God. I am giving the why to God. Amen. Let me read three quick scriptures for you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 3. This is the Passion Translation. It says, your crucifixion with Christ has severed the tie to this life. And now your true life is hidden away in God and Christ. So Galatians 2.20 says this. Paul said, when I, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I that liveth, it is Christ in me. So what Paul was saying, I'm dead to anything on this planet. You know what that tells you and me? should tell us a lot. I'm dead to the curse. If you want to know what the curse is, Deuteronomy 28. I'm dead, which means this. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sickness. I'm dead to poverty. None of that has any hold on me whatsoever. Jesus became that on the cross. And then when he was buried, the good news about his burial, see, it's the death burial and resurrection why is there such emphasis on this burial because he became sin he became sickness he became poverty he became all that the curse was and he buried it anything that is dead and buried does not have power over you and me wow so when a symptom or sickness tries to come on me i said no 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 i'm dead to that and not only am I dead to that, it is dead. And anything dead, I mean, is anybody that's one of your enemies has died and just reached out of the grave and slapped the snot out of you? I mean, uh, you may have seen that in a movie, but that does not happen in real life. <laughs> Zombie city or whatever. I mean, but that, that's not real. You do understand that. So what the point is this. If it's dead, it has nothing on you and me. Praise God. John 14, 20. So when that day comes, you will know that I am living in the Father. This is Jesus talking. And that you are one with me, for I will be living in you. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I'm going to be living inside of you. Man, how awesome. You know, people say, oh, I wish I could have been back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and walking with Jesus. It is far greater to have the Holy One living inside of you instead of just walking with you. I'm telling you, we live in the most awesome day that ever was. And then 1 Corinthians six seventeen. this is one of my favorite scriptures, but he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. It's not Mike and Jesus in here. It's just Jesus. We become one and you can't tell us apart. I'm going to say it again. Jesus is inside of you, and the devil can't tell you apart from Jesus because you are one. There is no difference. You are one with him. Amen? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul, in this chapter, Paul has a revelation that is so strong and so powerful, and he's wanting the church, he's wanting you and me, to understand what this revelation is. And so in verse 18, he says, I pray that the light of God will illuminate the eyes of your imagination. You're supposed to have a strong imagination. And your imagination is supposed to dwell and think upon some of the great. You need to think big. 
you, you need to think of good things happening to you. You need to think of good things happening to your family. You need to think of good things happening to your church. And you need to think of good things happening to our city and to our nation. Instead of the news telling you how bad it is, you need to have imagination of how great it is. Amen. So he says, let your imagination be flooded with light until you experience the full revelation. He says, you need to dwell and see something. How many know you see something? That's your imagination. You see it. He says, you need to keep dwelling on it and see it so you can experience it. God wants you to experience it. Amen. He says, until you experience the full revelation, the revelation of what? The hope of his calling. Not your calling, but his calling. That is the wealth of God's glorious inheritance that he finds in us. Everybody say, in us. He finds in us his holy ones. I just, you know, like to, when you read the Old Testament, they talk about building uh, the, the old tabernacle. And when they built the tabernacle, there's some furniture in the tabernacle that was made with wood, and then it was overlaid with gold, pure gold. The whole furniture was overlaid with gold. You say, well, man, that's really cool. You know what that's a, a type of? That's a type of you and me. We're the wood, and it's overlaid with gold. So when the devil looks, you don't understand how the devil in the spiritual realm looks at you. When he looks at you, he doesn't see a piece of wood. He sees gold. He sees Jesus. Gold, the righteousness of God is what you and I are, look like in the spiritual realm. Why? Because first of all, that's what we are. That's what we are. But that's what, it's a type ology of what you and I are in the spiritual realm. I'm not a piece of wood. Amen. So he says in us, I pray, verse 19, I pray that you will continually experience, God wants you to experience. What does he want you to experience? This is what he says. The immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. Then your lives will be an advertisement. God wants you and I to be a billboard. He says, then your lives will be an advertisement of the immense power as it works through you. This is the mighty power that was released when God was raised Christ from the dead and exalted him to the place of highest honor and supreme authority in the heavenly realm. And now he is exalted as first above every ruler, authority, government, and realm of power in existence. He is gloriously enthroned over every name that is ever praised, not only in this age, but in the age that is coming. And he alone is the leader and source of everything needed in the church. God has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus Christ and has given him the highest rank above all others. Now, stop right there. God said that he has put everything beneath the authority of Jesus, and he's given him, Jesus, the highest rank above all others. We just established in those three verses before this that we have become one with him. He that is joined to the Lord is one spirit. God or Jesus said, I am living in you. I am with you and been made one with you. Now, according to that, you know, it's kind of like A squared plus B squared equals C squared. You know, you, you figure out what's on the equal sign. Well, this is the equal. If we have been or equal with the Lord Jesus Christ, we become one with him, then we can even say this and it doesn't change. God has put everything beneath me and you. 
the authority of us, and he's given us the highest rank above all others. Come on now, you need to get a little bit more excited than that. You know, he just, oh, Jesus has done this and he's done this. Well, why? He didn't do it for him. He was already the highest. He was in heavenly places. He was not having any poverty, any lack, anything. He was the highest. He didn't come to the earth to become the highest. He's always been the highest. He came down here to rank us up with him. Seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I said seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. One with him. Oh, glory to God. Verse 23, and now we, his church, are his body on the earth, and that which fills him who is being filled by it. So what is he implying there? I want this to happen in Pueblo. I want this to happen everywhere you and I go. Then chapter 2 says, and his fullness fills you. His fullness fills you. Even though you were once like corpse, dead in your sins and offenses. It wasn't that long ago that you lived in the religion customs and the values of the world, obeying the dark ruler of the earth, earthly ram who fills the atmosphere with his authority and works diligently in the hearts of those who are disobedient to the truth of God. The corruption that was in us from birth was expressed through the deeds and desires of our own self-life. We live by whatever natural cravings and thoughts our minds dictated, living as rebellious children subject to God's wrath like everyone else. But, I mean, that sounds all bad news. But God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins. That's when he loved you. He didn't love, start loving you when you got born again. He loved you when you were a filthy Blankety, blank, blank, blank. But anyway, verse, can you do that in the pulpit? All right, but verse four, but God still loved us with such great love. He is so rich in compassion and mercy. Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, he united us to the very life of Christ and saved us by his wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one, and we ascended with him. Did you hear that? You ascend, When Jesus ascended, you ascended. Everybody's wanting, oh, I can't wait to get to heaven. Honey, as far as God is concerned, you're already there. I said, you're already there. You've ascended. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Paul said, I was raised. When he ascended, I and you were ascended. And now God sees us at the right hand of the Father God, seated with the Lord Jesus Christ. Ascended with him into the glorious perfection and authority of the heavenly realm. For we are now, everybody say now. now. We are now co-seated as one with Christ. Holy cow. We're co-seated. We're co-seated. Co-seated, man, just with Jesus. Verse 19. Can you pull up verse 19 again? It just seems that what Paul is saying here, he says, I pray that you will continually experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. It just seems what he's saying here is that the more you and I see who we are in Christ, the more that you and I see our true identity, the more that you and I understand and have a revelation that we have become one with Jesus. He says, when you have that kind of revelation, guess what's going to happen? You're going to experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power made available to you through faith. 
But you got to see it. Listen, if you're going to experience that, this may be why we're not experiencing all that we should be is because we're not seeing and having our imagination to see all that we already are. We're trying to become something. We that. We're that now. We are that now. But if you think you're not that now, then it's probably possible and probable that you will not experience the greatness that he has done for you and me. Amen? Amen. But it says in this is the hope of his calling. That used to trip me up because I think his calling. It's not your calling. It's Jesus' calling. The hope of his calling. What is the hope of Jesus' calling? When I've studied this, you know, there's a lot of variations of what you may think the hope of his calling is. But most people agree one part of his calling for sure is that uh, he's called to make a way for us to have salvation, the very life of God. So I would agree with that. And then there's other people who think that, well, uh, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. But then it says his inheritance, not your inheritance. It talks about his inheritance, Jesus' inheritance. Jesus is the one who inherited all things. Now, if you, there's some theologians who say, back in Psalms, it says, I've given you the nations for his inheritance. I agree. I, I believe that. I agree with that. But it's so much more than that. It's the whole universe. It's the world. And everything that God created, he says, I've given you all things. And then he turns around and he says, I've given to you the church, you and me. I've given you all things that pertain to life. Whatever you need for life, I've provided. Not will provide, but have provided. Dad Hagemar preaches a message about fresh bread. And the great thing about fresh bread, aren't you glad that when you go to the store, you go up to the counter and say, I, I need a loaf of bread. Oh, you do? Okay, wait a minute. Get the flour, get the mix, let's get this stuff going, let's get, turn the oven on and, aren't you thankful they don't do that? No, but when you walk into the store, it's already been prepared. It's already there. Why? Because they expected you were going to need it, and before you needed it, they've already provided it. That's God. Before you ever needed anything, he said, I've already provided it. Already a done deal. So you and I have to believe that. But Jesus is the one who has the calling. Jesus is the one who has all the inheritance. Because you see, God made a covenant between him and Jesus, not between you and me. A lot of people get hooked up, um, hiccup on that, choked up on that. But he's made it because for a covenant to be made, there is two parties involved. One has to do his part. The other one has to do their part to have a covenant. It works both ways. And God just knew you and me, we wouldn't fulfill our part. We just wouldn't do it. We, wouldn't be, we won't have the capability or the ability to do it. You know, that whole sin thing? You know, people say, oh, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to smack Adam and Eve for sinning. <laughs> well, you might as well just start slapping yourself right now because I think you've sinned. I think you've messed up. So you just need to slap yourself. Look in the mirror and just, no, I'm just kidding. But anyway, uh, so God knew that we couldn't keep our part of the, of the bargain. So what did he do? He says, I'm going to leave man or humanity out of it, but I'm going to 
choose my man, Jesus, who's 100% man, and he says, I'm going to make a covenant with him because he will do everything to the letter. He will keep everything. That Every I is going to be dotted. Every T is going to be crossed. He will totally obey me. He will be perfect without sin. And somebody who's perfect without sin, you see God the whole time was trying to get heaven in the earth. And the church is focusing upon trying to get to heaven. Oh, when we all get to heaven, what a glorious day that will be. You want me to keep going? Okay, no. But anyway, and and so we focus on that and what God is saying, you're focusing on the wrong thing. It's not when you get to heaven. It's when heaven gets in you that you're going to see the manifested glory of God. So don't wait till you get to heaven. You're, You're late. You're late when you get to heaven. It should be manifested in Pueblo, Colorado. So the hope of his calling. So God makes a covenant with Jesus. And then he says this to all mankind. If you want to be part of this inheritance, you just believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you become one with the Lord Jesus, joint heirs. All of a sudden, you become joint heir. What does joint heir mean? Everything that he gets, I get. Everything he gets, you get. So what did Jesus get? Well, he got, he get. What did he get? He get everything. He got it all. He got all that pertains to life and to, and to godliness. He was, he was everything that we needed for life. Not only to get to heaven, but to live everyday life. He provided it for us. And then he says this, I've made all these promises for you. You just go through the Bible and see all the promises. In Corinthians, it says all of the promises are yes and amen. amen. Jesus got all of us, all of those promises. You don't have to fight for this because it's part of our inheritance. His inheritance, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 says this, throughout our history, God has spoken to our ancestors by his prophets in many different ways. The revelation he gave them was only a fragment at a time building one truth upon another. But to us living in this last days, God now speaks to us openly in the language of a son, the appointed heir of everything. Of what? Everything. For through him, through Jesus, God created the panorama of all things at all times. The sun is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature. His mirror image, he holds the universe together and expands it by the mighty power of his spoken word. He accomplished for us the complete cleansing of sins and then took his seat on the highest throne at the right hand of the majestic one. There's a difference, you know, when people get an inheritance. When they get an inheritance, Do you have to do anything to get inheritance? Matter of fact, inheritance is not based upon anything you do. I wasn't very good this last week. I wonder if I still have an inheritance. You know, I I didn't read my Bible every day. I wonder if I still have an inheritance. You don't think that way in the natural realm. You know, when your parents said, you know, they write out their will, any, let, let me rephrase, rephrase that, any sane parent who, who leaves a will to their children, they just write it out and they just say, all that your father and I have were given to our kids, everything. You just get it. 
and it's not based upon your performance or your work. You don't have to fight for your inheritance. Matter of fact, you can't really fight for your inheritance. You didn't work. I mean, if they, let's just say they had a million dollars and you, you've got two quarters to your name. You don't have to think, well, to deserve this, I should really go out there and work harder so I could get that. So it could be mine because of what I deserve. Nobody thinks like that. No, if you're getting a few million dollars, you're probably thinking, I'm retiring. 42 years old, I'm done. Yeah. (laughs) But you didn't, you just got it because of the grace of your parents. What Jesus wants you and I to know and understand is we have an inheritance. It's everything that Jesus has been provided, everything that he deserves. What does Jesus deserve? You know, we think, oh, you don't deserve that or, or I do deserve that. No, it has nothing to do with whether you deserve it or not. It's, does Jesus deserve that? Let me just ask you, does Jesus deserve healing today? Does Jesus deserve prosperity and abundance today? Does Jesus uh, deserve peace and joy and kindness and the freedom? Does Jesus deserve all of that? Everybody, I mean, any Christian would say yes, yes, and yes. And so because we are recipients of his inheritance, we get all of that. It's inherited. You don't have to fight for it. It's just been the grace of God that you get it. I was thinking about this, and, and you know, this is just a thought, opinion. Everybody get that? You know how Israel has been given a lot of land. Much, much more land, the nation Israel, has been given much more land than what they're living in today. Does everybody realize that? I believe the eastern border is the Euphrates River all the way. Is that right, Dad? He knows more stuff about that than I do. But it's huge. I mean, and they're living just in a small portion of what God promised them as an inheritance for them to live in. But they're just living in a small portion. I believe that it's because their inheritance, they are working for it and trying to fight for it instead of being a recipient of the grace of God that Jesus already purchased it for them. Just a thought. Just a thought. I know this. When I was meditating upon that, you know what I thought? I thought, that's a picture of the church today. God has given us this humongous inheritance. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 28. He's given us health. He's given us provision. He's given us peace in the midst of every storm. He's given us uh, his kindness. He's given us his son, which has everything that's living on the inside of us. He's given us all of that. And what does the church do? They're just like Israel. Fighting to obtain something that they already possess. Just a thought. Something to stir up conversation anyway. But I believe... You see, when I, I, I was raised, or not raised, but, you know, when I was in my late 20s, I, was, I had a revela- 
revelation of faith and went to a school about faith. And, and so I just thought, I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, you know, because that's what the word of God says, to fight the good fight of faith. And so I thought, I'm going to fight for my healing bless God, and I'm going to fight for provision, the abundance that God has. I'm good. Oh, I'm going I'm to fight. I never realized that I've inherited all of that, and it's already mine. Why do you have to fight for something that's already yours? I'm not fighting for it. When the devil says, you better fight for healing, I go, I don't have to fight for something that's already in me. It's part of my DNA. It's mine. That's like trying to fight. Hey, do you have to fight for that ear? Oh, yeah, you don't know what I had to go through to fight to get this ear. You know, I only had one ear at one time, but I, you know, I I really fought to get this. And people are going, you're weird, man, (laughs) with a capital W. And, uh, but this is the thing. But we take it to, to God, and we think we have to fight for our inheritance. Maybe not you, but, you know, a lot of people think they have to fight for their inheritance. I've got to have a, I've got to get my faith stirred up to, to get this inheritance. You don't have to have faith for something that's already been given. Ah, the devil says, you just need more faith. I don't have to have faith for what's already been given to me. That's just lame. You know, the Lord started showing me this little by little. And uh, you can, you know, for your homework assignment, you read Galatians chapter 4, the first few scriptures. It says this, that in the old covenant, it doesn't say that's in this, but the word that God said that what Israel was in the Hebrew is a Hebrew word that means infant. Israel was infant to God. And then when we get born again in the new covenant, we become sons. We become sons, not an infant. We become sons. Galatians chapter 4 talks about that we become sons of God. That's the grace of God. When you're born again and I become born again, we're not a baby infant. We become a son. You understand that? You know, when, if you, if, if, oh, this is a good illustration. You know, if I was, (laughs) if I was 10 years old and somebody left me inheritance of a, you know, a brand new, Chevelle, or, yeah, 1969, totally brand new Chevelle, you know. If I was 12, I I couldn't drive it, even though I had that inheritance. So even though I possessed something, it really wouldn't do me any good because I'm still an infant, like in the old covenant, Israel. But if I was a full-grown son, and you gave me a 1969 Chevelle, Give me the keys. I'm ready to drive it. Not only is it mine, but I can experience it. Listen to me now. The children of Israel were living by the law, which kept them as an infant. The law kept them as an infant. Works and and, and trying to get right with God kept them as an infant. But the Lord Jesus Christ comes on the new covenant. He says, you don't have to become that. I'm making you that. And because I made you sons, now you have the availability of all the inheritance to enjoy and experience right now, today. Not when you get to heaven, but today. Woo! That's good news. Romans 4.13. 
It says this. This is a new living. Water jumped up and slapped my nose. (laughs) Clearly, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants. Well, you and I are descendants of Abraham. He says God promised to give the whole earth. You know what that means? Everything in this planet. And his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law. Listen to this real close. He gave him an inheritance, but that inheritance was not based upon his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship with God, or it was based upon righteousness that comes by faith, by believing. Verse 14, if God's promise is only for those who obey the law, then faith is not necessary and the promise is pointless. So in other words, God is saying, if you can work for the inheritance, then faith has none effect. But he said, Abraham could not work for this inheritance. Neither can you and I. You can't get good enough. You can't read your Bible enough. You can't work hard enough for God. I'm just going to work hard for God. I'm just going to do more for God. Don't get me wrong. This is what I believe. When you get a revelation of the grace of God, you will want to do whatever you want to do for the kingdom of God, but it's because there's a want to, not a have to. I don't have to preach. I'm in no better standing being a preacher than I was when I worked for FedEx. God didn't go, woo, you got elevated. No, 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 no. God has loved, God loved me when I was a sinner. Do you realize God loved me when I was sinning, being a sinner as much as he does now with me being a preacher? His love has never changed, which means his love for you will never, ever change. It's flatlined to the nth degree. He's always loved you, never going to stop loving you. Can't make him stop no matter what you do kind of love. Slap you upside the head love. So he sits here and he goes, all of this inheritance was not based upon the obedience to God. So what was it based upon? It was based upon Jesus. You see, Jesus, he, he was faithful and he was obedient. And he did everything perfect. And so God says, I'm giving all of this inheritance to Jesus because he did he was the faithful one you know we looked at one another and say man you just got to be more faithful you just got to be more faithful if you're going to walk in healing you just got to be more faithful you know what you're doing but if you ask this question if you ask the question uh, what is the biggest hindrance to faith most people would respond sin Sin. It's not sin based upon this scripture. It is not. It's because of the law or the works mentality makes faith none effect. You see, if it was sin, then we could never have faith working in our life no matter what we did. Because you miss it here and you miss it there. To him to know to do good and don't do it, it's sin. So there's sin popping up all the time. So faith would never be working. It would be voided. So what God is saying, he says, it's not based 
if you want faith to rise and well, if you want to be these inheritance being manifested in your life, then you have to realize that it's because of what Jesus has done, not based upon what you can do. It's not based upon the obedience of the law and performance. So if faith is not, if you're not walking in inheritance, it possibly may be it's because you're trying to work for it. And no matter how hard you work for it, faith is not going to be manifested in your life. And let me tell you, faith is inside of you. You have the God kind of faith in you. You don't have to, you know, faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God. But also in Galatians 2.20, it says this. I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet it's not I that liveth, it is Christ in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God. Not my faith. How many believe that Jesus had faith? That faith is in you. So when the devil says, you don't have enough faith, I go, I don't, but he does. And he's living in me, and we're one. So I think I got the faith thing covered pretty well. Woo! You see, the devil's defeated. He's not going to be defeated. He's already been defeated. I defeat him by the faith of Jesus. I defeat him by the inheritance of Jesus. I defeat him in everything in my life because of what Jesus has done, not because of what I can do or will do or have to have enough of. So the devil can't, he shouldn't be coming to you and me and says, I'm going to beat you and then this is going to happen. No, you just say when the dust settles, you're going to see Jesus standing and me in him. See how far that takes you, devil. He already humiliated you. Do you want to go through that again? No. How did we get all this? By grace. I truly believe that grace is being just so revealed to the church around the world. And I believe this is why there's a lot of religious people that are fighting grace. You know, they call it a grace movement. Well, I don't know if it's a grace movement. I just think it's what Paul said in Ephesians 1.18, that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened, that you may know, that you may have an imagination. You see, because when I take the focus on, off of Mike and I put it upon Jesus, then I say, he deserves it. We sing that song, he deserves the glory and the honor. He deserves everything. But I don't know about me. I don't deserve squat. I don't deserve nothing. And so the devil, that, that's what he will tell you. But if you're born again, that's a lie. Why? Because he that is joined to the Lord, 1 Corinthians 6, 7, he that is joined to the Lord is one spirit, been made one with him. And now you're saying that you don't deserve it and you've been made one with Jesus? In a mathematical equation, those two don't <laughs> equal each other. Because if Jesus deserves it all, then you deserve it all because of him. Man, that's powerful. That is powerful. So uh, this grace message, that I, this is a good picture. This is a good picture. Let's just say a, a woman had a, a $5,000 dress. I don't know if I've ever seen a $5,000 dress, but you know, let your imagination go. It's probably like Mel Melanie, is that how you saying Trump? Trump's, yeah, her. That's probably what a $5,000 dress looks like. But let's just say a woman has this $5,000 dress, and then her husband has this $5,000 suit that's just, whew. I mean, they are, ooh, styling. 
And then this guy who's been working on a car, he's greasy, uh, mechanic, he's greasy from head to toe, and he's got grease all over his hands. He says, hey, come here, could you do it? I, I, I need you to come underneath this car and help me change the oil. And you know, the engine's leaking a little bit, and so it's just going to drop a little bit on you. It won't be that much oil on you, but just a little few drops here and there. Could you help me come and, and, and change your oil? What would that woman say? Are you, are you born stupid or, or what's the matter with you? You hit your head. You think I'm going to get underneath some car? And the guy go, you think I'm going to get this underneath some car? Listen to me now. That's a picture of grace. It's a picture of grace. God says, I'm going to clothe you in righteousness. And grace is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to, I'm clothing you with the robe of righteousness that is far greater than any $5,000 dress or $5,000 suit. It's the robe of righteousness that's been purchased by the blood of Jesus that is so expensive. It, money can never buy it. And he says, that's what you're wearing. And it's called the grace of God that put that on you. And you're going to tell me that you're going to want to climb in back into the sinful lifestyle or want to go and sin? Get underneath the greasy car of sin? No, you just don't understand grace. You just don't understand grace. Romans 4.13. And by the way, everything, everything hinges on you knowing that you're righteous. Which means you couldn't do anything to get this righteousness. Which means everything hinges on grace. So you don't think this is important to get your eyes opened up to grace? I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But that's what inheritance is all about. It's a free gift. And God, when he gave us Jesus, he gave us all the inheritance that God gave him. He gave all the promises. He gave it all. I don't have to and you don't have to do one single thing to obtain it except for one thing, and that is to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. John 6, 29, it says this. You know, a lot of people says, I just want to do the work of God. I got to do more for God. I, I need to do the work. John 6, 29, Jesus says what the work is. John 6, 29 says that this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. So somebody says, I just got to do the work of God. I said, amen, me too. What is it? Well, you know, I just, I need to do all these things for God a lot more. No, no, John 6, 29 tells you what the work is. One simple thing. One simple thing. Believe upon Jesus. That is the work of God. I, I mean, I think that's a pretty easy thing. And if you believe, listen to me now, if you believe upon the work of God, then you become joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, heirs of God, joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the promises, all the inheritance, everything is yes and amen just because you believe upon what Jesus has done for you and me. Is it doable? Can you do that? A seven-year-old can do that. I'll close with the, the Amplified Translation of Romans 4.13. It says, For the promise to Abraham... Or his posterity that he should inherit the world did not come through observing and commands of the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, then faith is made futile 
and empty of all meaning and the promise of God is made void, is annulled and has no power. So you want to void out the promises of God? You want to void out the inheritance of God that's been freely given to you? Then try get, put yourself back under the law. Put yourself back under performance. Put yourself back under works. I just got to do more. When you do that, then the inheritance is not going to be manifested because you're, you're, you're shunning it. The promises aren't going to be manifested because you think I've got to work for it. And when you do that, it shuts down faith, which is inside you and me, but it shuts it down because you think you have to do something to get it. And you never have to do anything to get inheritance. It's a grace thing that God says, I'm giving it to you. This message will set you free. This message will set Pueblo free. It has set everybody who's watching online free. It has set you free when you think, I thought I had to do something. There's only one thing you got to do. Believe upon him. Then everything else is yes and amen. So what voids faith? Not sin. Don't let the devil tell you, well, you've just been doing this in sin, been doing that in sin. No. It's based upon his goodness. I, I, I told this in first service. Did I tell you all that next, the first week of April, that I've walked in health for one full year? Did I tell you that? I said it in the first year. But I'm not saying that to brag. I'm just saying that the more you understand what your inheritance is, the more you'll see manifest. There's not been, it's, it's as far back as my memory would go as a teenager. I've never gone probably three months without taking some kind of pill, you know, Tylenol or something. But I've gone 12, next, the first week of April, it'll be 12 months that I haven't taken one pill, not one medication, nothing for my body. Now, I know that may seem like a, a small thing, but man, I, I mean, I, I popped Tylenol and Advil like it's M&M's, you know what I mean? This is the point. Now, you sit there and go, man, I, 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 do take that. No, 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 that's fine. God doesn't have a problem with God wants you feeling better. You understand that? He's a good father. You know, I'm a father. If my kid or something says has a headache, I'm gonna go, just trust God. <laughs> Don't take no medication, just trust God. No. My daddy doesn't tell me, Mike, don't take anything for a headache. Don't take anything. For... He never did to imply that. But I'm understanding to have a revelation what I possess already. And so it manifests in health because health is inside of me. So when you and I start meditating upon that, I am healed. I'm not trying to get healed. Oh, don't get me wrong. I've had many opportunities this past 12 months, many opportunities. I mean, people go, oh, wow, nothing ever happened to you? Oh, oh man. I did something, my knee hurt so bad, I, could, I, started, I couldn't walk on it. You know, the devil goes, uh-huh. You got, that's your ACL. It's gone. Say bye-bye. We're talking operation. Just look. Imagine yourself on the table and somebody cutting you open. I mean, it was painful. So I just sit there and I started speaking to that. I said, knee, I don't know what you're trying to do because you're a healed, strong knee. The stripes of Jesus purchased the price for me to have two strong knees. And I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. It is illegal for you to even be on my body. So you're trespassing. So I command you to get off my body right now. 
and nothing happened. And I did it again and again and again and again and again hundreds of times until all of a sudden the pain was 100% gone that day that day you see the devil wants to know do you really know who you are devil I'm righteous I am as righteous as Jesus Christ himself you are as righteous as Jesus Christ himself If you don't think that, then the devil will infiltrate your life with everything, with sickness and poverty and lack because you don't deserve healing. You don't deserve this. You don't deserve that. But I have come to a place that I deserve it not based upon Mike Davis. I deserve it based upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He has seated me in heavenly places. He has caused me to be healed. He has caused me to be prosperous. He has caused me to have victory in every situation. All of the promises are yes and amen. There is no maybe so or I have to work to becoming I am right now today you have to believe that meditate upon that let your imagination believe that Ephesians 1:18. make yourself think that's the way life is for me instead of thinking well you know everybody gets the flu well you will get it every year there's no condemnation listen to me I've been sick a lot of days in my life and God just helped me and, and worked with me and loved me right through it. That's a good father, isn't it? So don't anybody here think, I wish I could be like that. No. God is patient. He'll work with you. He will work with you. Let's stand.